0: Today's episode on Police Pod Talk is sponsored by Crossing Color Lines. Crossing Color Lines is an organization established to speak directly to the issues of race, culture, and ethnicity in the world today. Crossing Color Lines offers resources, tools, and guidance to help anyone along their journey towards racial healing. For more information on Crossing Color Lines Hey folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. I've got another very special person on the line. We've spoken to her before, but I had to reach out to her one more time because I want to get her expertise. I, I tell her she's an expert in a certain area and she tells me she's not. And on, on the phone again, uh, we've got Angel Dixon on the phone and we're going to talk and get her opinion on a lot of things that have going on. If you have not taken the time to listen to one of our podcasts a while back. We talk about the uh, history of policing. She's the person on near speaking, and uh, she does a great job, and I had to reach out to her to get her two cents. I hope I I hope I hope get more than two cents today. <laughs> her two cents on what's going on. Uh, Angel, you can say hello to the listeners out there.
1: Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me back on. Um, I really enjoyed our conversations we've had in the past, so I look forward to unpacking a little bit of what's been going on lately
0: good good that's what we're hoping we can get into because there's been so much stuff going on and uh, I, I got to get your take on it so I'm going to more or less turn the mic over to you and just kind of give us a feel on I mean you've been watching this stuff unfold across the country and I mean around the world you've been watching yeah. this unfold yeah and I want to know what you've been thinking, what you've been feeling, and then tie that into the history, the history of policing, tie it into to black history. Give us everything that you got. I want to hear from you. Go right ahead.
1: Okay. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Well, first of all, I just want to give you a little bit of an update for me personally. Um, last time I was on your show, I was with a different organization, and I'm now with a different organization. It's called Crossing Color Lines, um, and it's an organization that does similar work to the organization I was with before, But um, this particular organization, we are um, really focused on trying to um, give practical resources to people. We do some corporate um, training and corporate consulting, um, but we also really have tried to make um, some really accessible items available to people um, in their homes and things that are on a less corporate scale. Um, So we hit both areas and arenas. But um, this particular organization, I feel like, does a really good job of uh, connecting with people. And we cover broader topics as far as I'm not just focusing on just general race. But we cover more stuff like race with parenting and families, race that impacts students, race in the medical field, race in business, race in education, race in churches. So I just want to kind of give you guys an update on that. Um, And we can talk more about that towards the end if we want to. But um, just so you know, same kind of work, just a little bit of a different approach and a little different focus. But, um, yeah, so uh, along with that, um, I happen to actually be – I, again, live in the metro Atlanta area. And um, I'm originally from the Northeast Indiana area. And I happen to have been home the weekend that the world appeared to blow up on us over race. Um, I had happened already had booked tickets to fly home for some business related to the work. And I was there, my own hometown, which is a smaller town in Indiana. Um, Not small, small, but it's a decent sized town. But anyways, it was it had its own demonstrations and its own things pop off. And we actually had an interaction where the police pretty early into the protest and demonstration chose the tear gas and actually they were positioned on top of the roof of the courthouse or the city county building and launched some some tear gas um, into the crowd and then just everything kind of boiled over from there. And so then we had several days after that. So when I was in town, immediately my phone blew up, much like a lot of people who work in this kind of realm and i was getting calls and texts and just so much and there was so much to coordinate i feel like for the next 72 hours i was on the phone eight or ten hours a day just talking through things and helping people and strategizing and meeting with people and it was just it, it just felt like literally in a matter of moments i remember i was at home with my family and we were debating going downtown to a park that's in our downtown um that i had never been to before and just about the time we were deciding like you know what maybe we're just gonna hang out at home today we just didn't feel motivated to get up and go out my phone blew up and so it's just literally in a matter of moments you're going from like oh let's go to the park to what is happening (laughs) and for somebody like myself and i think for a lot of other people of color specifically black people in our country the sweeping change that has occurred from that time till now has just been almost mind-boggling and i'm sure it's been mind-boggling for people who aren't people of color (laughs) just the shift i was looking at um here actually this morning the footage of bubba wallace being escorted to the starting line with the entirety of the racing community there at the NASCAR race in Talladega. Um, and that was in response to a noose that had been hung in his garage area. And if you understand anything about racing, the way it's set up, um, you know, pit row and the garage area and all that kind of section is completely cordoned off to only racing officials. And so it's either you're part of a racing team, you're part of the garage and the pit crew, or you're part of the racetrack staff. Long story short, somebody got in there, wasn't probably general public people that got in there and they hung up the snooze in his garage. And so um, in response to that, the entirety of, I mean, the crews, everybody there escorted him in a show of solidarity and support to the, to the starting line. Mm -hmm. And to me watching that as a person who's grown up in this country and you kind of know, we all kind of know the spaces that are marked off as like, these are the no-fly zones. Like you're just going to have to accept there's going to be major racism issues here. Like I always, I just thought to myself, shoot, If NASCAR is saying it's not okay, (laughs) I think it's a good sign that, like, the issue of race has permeated almost every facet of society at this point in the United States. And so that's exciting for me. And so that's kind of a little bit about where I've been and what I've been dealing with in the last month or so. But I think what we also see here as we look at where are we now is I think we're kind of still in that, to be honest with you, that shock phase. And it's not a shock phase really directed at one particular event of course we've you know had some very visceral and very emotional as they should be reactions to some of these cases that we've seen have gotten public um and national and international attention however the response and the emotion that we're seeing this is not solely tied to these individual cases because if you look at these cases they're all very different in nature they're they're different people from different backgrounds i mean everything from you know the ahmaud arbery to George Floyd to, you know, even going all the way back to Michael Brown, all those like just from a standpoint of even like what the interaction with the police was like, why it was happening, what was about, you know, all the cases. And you look at all of them, Trayvon Martin, like that wasn't even interacting with police. So there's all these different cases that are so different, yet we see a similar response from the general public, specifically in the black community. And I think what we need to understand, recognize is that what, where we are right now is we are seeing a an emotional and a visceral response to trauma that has ancient. It's literally, it's hundreds of years old. I may have touched on this before in our last conversation, but it does speak a little bit, uh, epigenetics speaks to this. And so epigenetics, basically the study of your genes and how they're impacted by your heritage and from your family and your parents, your biological heritage. And what they have found in these studies is that trauma gets passed down in your genes. And the way this works is that you basically, your genes and your DNA shift and there are markers left in your DNA when you experience a trauma. And then when that Shift occurs. It stays shifted. It stays changed. It stays marked in your DNA. And when you procreate, so when you have children, be it the father or the mother, when you have children, you literally pass on your DNA has markers, are they're passed into your child, and your child has the same markers as if they were firsthand experience of that trauma, even though they never experienced that trauma. And so we have a literal biological, physiological issue we need to address. Which is probably down the road a ways before we can get to that because we got to deal with the emotional trauma right now. And the other thing that's so crazy, and I remember you asking me this question in our last podcast. You said, What trauma? And the fact of the matter is this it is trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And so you have a young person born today or born even 10 years ago, and they're born with the DNA trauma that's just passed on. Then you have the psychological and sociological trauma of, you know, maybe a, a mother or a father who's got, you know, some PTSD just from the trauma and the terror of what they've had to go through in their lives. And then you've got the child with their own firsthand trauma and their own firsthand issues. And so we're at right now, at a place right now where you literally are seeing, there's two, there's two forces kind of in play right now with the protests, which I'll touch on one of the other forces in a moment. But we're seeing literally all over the country, suddenly people are going, where, why is all this anger? Where's just all that anger coming from? It's expressed emotion of, of rage and being unheard and being unseen. And so I think where we are right now is, We're in a heightened state of emotional response. Um, And I think like most cases and most traumas and and when you're in shock, you you know, your body viscerally has a response. You have an emotional response. And I think at some point you process that and then you're going to move into another phase. I think that phase is starting to wane. As you can kind of see, we still have lots of demonstrations happening. I think those demonstrations are beginning to look uh, less violent. Uh, They're looking a little bit more mindful. They're looking a little bit more organized, you know, and you still have different pockets that are operating different ways. The other thing I find very interesting, and I think this is something that people need to pay attention to, there's two reasons for this. One is, uh, the, the thing I think is interesting is, this is spreading across the world. Like, literally, you are seeing similar responses and you're seeing similar demonstrations and approaches in England in you know, places in Europe. There are places in other countries right now. I mean, even I noticed there was a group, um, I believe they were in, they were in Australia. I'm not, I can't remember exactly where they were, but they, they were doing the haka on behalf of Black Lives Matter. These are indigenous peoples that are similar to like a Samoan kind of ethnicity, but they were doing the haka like half a world away in honor of Black Lives Matter. And and haka is a, you know, it's a traditional native ritual or, you know, action that they do. It's a chant and demonstration that's used for different purposes, but it has to do with their tribal history and ancestry. It has nothing to do with black people, but that was the way they chose to honor and and show solidarity because I think there is a commonality I think among people all over the planet that understand being a minority or being overlooked and unseen and so in some ways there's some similarity and some solidarity amongst minority people groups but we also need to bear in mind that you know American descendants of slaves um, you know there's a unique trauma here in our country in the way it's been handled as opposed to other countries and so that's why um, I think it's important to not paint all trauma and all experiences of of minority groups and marginalized groups um, with a broad brushstroke. So I think where we are now is people are trying to put a definition of things. People are trying to identify things. People are trying to, I think, bring things to a smaller scale that they can actually manage and get their hands around and get their heads around. Um, I think that's why we're seeing some of the sweeping changes. Suddenly, all of a sudden, Band-Aid figured out how to make different shades of Band-Aid. Like, really, guys? Like, Literally, something blows up like you know one weekend, and two weeks later they're announcing brand new Band-Aids. That's a little hard for me to process, to be honest with you, because I'm like, okay, you could have done that a long time ago. But you know, and there and there's an element to this that is, let's be honest, it's going to be a little bit of a money grab. There's going to be a little bit of an attention grab. You know, you're always going to find those opportunists around these scenarios. But I and it's kind of strange again as a person of color thinking like, well, part of me is like, you know what? I get that it's probably from a marketing standpoint and it's probably a money grab on Band-Aids part, but also. I'm really glad there's band-aids that are like the right shape. You know what I mean? Like, so maybe it's, I don't know, it's a trade-off, I suppose. But anyways, I, I find that people are starting to figure out like what's accessible. You know, you see the shift in the um, the marketing they're doing right now. And there's, there's a debate about Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's and all these different brands that have had these, you know, old images that they've used forever. That are just, they're just, they they have, you know, kind of a, I mean, it's stereotypical roots. It's, it's You know, it's fetishizing the black imagery that they chose to fetishize, which fetishizing is not just about sexuality. It's literally about basically making something a commodity, making it, uh, you know, something that's human and taking its humanness away from it and basically commoditizing it and making it something that's an inanimate object suddenly. Um, and so, and like, almost like a theme or a concept. And so, you know, there's a lot. It's just, it's permeated all society. There's no part of society right now in the United States that's not touched by this issue. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where we are now.
0: I'm going to go back. I got to ask you a question. You said something about the way it's handled here, the way that uh, uh, the history Mm -hmm. is handling uh, uh, slavery here. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, what were you? What do you mean by that? You said it's handled different in uh, other countries.
1: That's a great question. So um, there's a variety of reasons. So let's just take our easiest example. Um, Let's look at our cousins across the pond in England. So uh, slavery was was outlawed and really addressed shoot i i haven't really double checked my dates on this but it's easily 75 to 100 years before it was dealt with in the united states so it was no longer legal so part of that you know you think of the proximity to england to africa you think well that shoot that should have been an easy place to just you know transport a ton of people well one of those things is because obviously england's smaller but also you know they did you know stop the slave you know, slave industry was there was addressed there way before the united states but also they were not as much of um there wasn't as much a need, you know, obviously there wasn't as much land to for agricultural purposes. And so, you know, there was not as great a need and demand probably, but for a variety of reasons, there are just, there's a smaller population, smaller um, percentage of black people in the country. And even from that group of black people in the country, you know, they have a lot of um, African immigrants there from, you know, current and modern times. So even the descendants of slaves uh, and African slaves in England, it's a much smaller population than is the United States. So just by nature alone, there's there's a longer history, there's a broader history of Black slavery in the United States. And so that's part of it. The other part of it is, even like when you look at um, apartheid in South Africa, they have a language there, a term that they use that I I love, and it's called freeborns. And so they basically call every person that was born after apartheid was toppled in in the nineties. You're called a a freeborn. So you don't even know what it's like to live under apartheid because you were, you know, baby when it was toppled and you, and you have been born with all of your freedoms given to you in a lot of ways, because like with with the South African apartheid, now granted, it's not like in some places they're way behind the United States in certain things. Like I remember watching Trevor Noah talk about how it was illegal to do comedy. And it was illegal to talk about a lot of different things for a very long time. And really, there was this kind of closed rank on um, black comedians in in uh, South Africa. You weren't allowed. Like, the white comedians were the ones who were allowed to, you know, do their thing. And so, like, comedy is just now opening up in the last, like, 10 years or so. It's just really starting to take off and become a big deal in South Africa. Of course, in the United States, we've had people, you know, going back to, like, Richard Pryor and, you know, Flip Wilson, whoever else you want to go to. You know, we've had black comedians that have been well-known, okay? South Africa literally had this moment where it was like the government and the regime was toppled. Like it was almost like an overnight thing. Now, granted, the effects and, you know, and some of the trickle down is still working its way through the the society. But it's a marked difference when you just literally overnight shift from one ideology, and one mindset to the next, you know, in a matter of a couple of days. And so they literally go from all these things being illegal for them to everything being legal for them, um, most things. And so then it was just about attitudes. So in the United States, what we have is a more progressive transition. And because of that progressive nature of it really starting back, you know, from the Emancipation Proclamation and moving forward, it's just we've had these incremental changes, but we've never really had this marked overnight sweeping moment of like, now here is a list of things that are no longer okay. Mm -hmm. Because of that, it's a prolonged trauma. It's a prolonged history. Like literally with the freeborns in South Africa, there is going to be a generation soon that's going to say like, you know, it's, it was my grandma that's going to be my great grandma. And like, they're just not very many generations out where it's going to be like nobody alive was going to remember apartheid anymore. You know what I mean? It's, it's not going to take that long. Um, in the United States, you know, I, I kind of talk about, Lord, let us have a generation of freeborns. You know, maybe someday we'll have a generation of kids that'll be like, yeah, I've heard old stories about the issues of race, but like, they're not relevant anymore. And not that in South Africa, that race isn't relevant. And that, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that moment where they can mark in time and go, yeah, this is when it stopped. This is when it changed. We don't have that moment in the United States. Um, and because of that, that makes it a unique issue. And because of the, you know, the regulations and policies and things that have literally been laws, for example, even laws now that are, to a lot of people may not be as apparent, but they're still a major issue. For example, in the state of Georgia, and this kind of t- took some, it got some attention when um, Ahmaud Arbery was killed in Brunswick, Georgia, which is right near Savannah. I have been to that area I actually love Savannah. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Um, The downtown area is really, really cool. Some people may or may not know, but Savannah is one of the cities that survived Sherman's March to the Sea. So when he came through to kind of strike the final blow, one of the final blows in the Civil War, he just came through with shock and awe. He just literally blazed a trail and just set everything on fire, destroyed and killed and pillaged and just wrecked shop uh, all the way coming through Atlanta from the north of Georgia, all the way down to the coast. And they call it Sherman's March to the Sea. Well, it ended in Savannah. And because he had done what he needed to do, he did not have to raise Savannah. So there are buildings and gardens and just places there that are like way pre-Civil War. There are some things from, um, actually there's a plantation there that I visited that's from like the late 1600s or early 1700s, like really old spaces. So um, pretty neat space. When that happened, people started to find out some things about Georgia. One of the things that's interesting about Georgia is that Georgia has currently no hate crime laws on the books. There's no law about hate crime. So if a group of white guys hunt down, I mean, literally a group of white people at this point right now, legally speaking, could hunt down a young black male, lynch him in this traditional old fashioned lynching ideal that we, you know, we have from the 30s, they'll only face, you know, possibly murder charges, really. I mean, and I'm not a, a legal expert, and, but that's just the generality of what it is. There's no additional penalty or additional charges or additional weight or additional mandatory sentencing because it's a hate crime. Um, If you look at other hate crime laws in other states, that's kind of the purpose of it is to say, okay, this is more egregious than just a typical murder or attempted murder because this was racially motivated or biasly motivated by bias. And so in order to kind of protect people that are at risk of being targets due to bias, that's why they create these hate crime laws. Well, Georgia doesn't have that. Going hand in hand with that, which is this is a very dangerous and lethal combination. This is why we have the issues we have here is Georgia does have a standard ground law that was put in place in 2006, code 163231 states that a person using force and self-defense has no duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground. So basically use your imagination with that folks. If you have a standard ground law, which honestly, maybe I'm skewed to my perspective, but I cannot understand or see any particular reason why that would be a necessary law to have. I think we have enough, you know, regulatory statutes in our country that help us understand, like, you know, if an intruder comes in your home, you know, you should be protected with, you know, if there's a, an altercation and you end up being the victor in that altercation. I don't know what the purpose of standard your ground really is, other than the fact that it does give, a, to me, it, the combination of having no hate crime law and having a standard ground law in South Georgia speaks to me of just open season on minorities and any vulnerable people groups.
0: Well, um, well hang on one second I, yes i'm gonna stop you i want you to read that one more time
1: absolutely so according to Georgia code 16323 1 it states that a person using force in self-defense has no duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground
0: okay so it, it, with that being read right there what is, where do you see the problem at i don't see a problem there
1: so I'll give, you, I'll give you a situation. I believe it happened in Florida, and I should double-check uh, the city. But uh, there was a situation that happened a couple of years ago, um, and it's on video. You can find it um, pretty disturbing to watch. But there was a there was a white male, and a, and a middle-aged male, and he had had a history of just being irritated and espousing all kinds of negativity about black people. And they actually found out in the investigation later on that he had stated to other people that he was looking for a reason to, to, to kill black folks. Um, so the incident that occurred was again this is in florida florida again has a standard ground law i don't believe they have a, I'm, I'm gonna assume they don't have a hate crime law i'm almost positive they don't but anyway so they this couple it was a family it was a a man and his wife and i think they had two or three children i think they had three children because they're two that were younger toddlers so they stayed in the car and they were at a gas station convenience store mm-hmm. and the older boy who was about six or seven went in with his father well the family had rushed in. Who knows why, but they parked in a handicapped parking spot. Now, when you see on the video, you see there's plenty of open parking. So, you know, there's two arguments there. One, like he should have picked different spot to park in. The other is, well, there's other handicapped spots available. So if it really is about a handicapped spot, that's kind of unnecessary. So what you see on the video is you see this white man come up um, and accost the wife in the vehicle. And so she's inside the car and he's standing outside the car and he's hollering and he's being real vile and just really intense. And she's got little ones in the car, an infant and a toddler. And so she's getting uncomfortable and she's scared. And I don't recall the situation if somebody told the husband who was inside the convenience store or however the husband found out there was something going on outside by his family. So he goes out to intervene and question, like, what what are you doing here? What's going on? What's the problem? And the guy is hollering and screaming at this husband. And the husband's like, Hold on. And you can see in the video, this white guy makes aggressive movements towards his husband. And is saying threatening things about this man's family. And so the husband like is trying to push the guy away from his car and like get away and like back off. Soon enough, a gun is produced by the white guy, and he ends up shooting the black guy, and the black guy stumbles back into so he shot the man in front of his wife and his infant and his toddler. And the black guy stumbles back into the convenience store and collapses on the floor and falls and dies at the feet of his six-year-old son, who had to witness this as well. So yeah. when they look into this, they find out that this guy basically was looking to start altercations, that he had done this to other black families, and he would go out of his way to pick a fight to try and find something to create an altercation. So the second that he could try to justify in his mind that now I'm defending myself, now I'm standing my ground. In my mind, too, like it's typically stand your ground. You know, you hear that language when you're talking about like battles and wars and it's stand your ground, hold the ground that's already your territory. When you're walking over to somebody else's personal space, when you're just running into somebody in, the, in a public space, that's not your ground. Like, that's not your territory. That's You happen to fill that space for that moment, but that's really not your ground. And so this standard ground law is, is pretty, I think, irresponsible and pretty dangerous.
0: Right. I, I know the situation you're talking about, and I do remember watching that on the news. Yeah. But, but I don't think he got to use that as a defense. After they looked at it, the gentleman, the uh, black gentleman, actually had backed off. He shoved yeah, the guy down. Yeah, he backed away. And he did back away, and then the guy pulled a gun and shot him. So he didn't get to use that as a defense. Correct. Um,
1: But people know that law exists, and that is what they use as their their golden ticket to try and go after folks. I really think that this is one of the issues that you see, specifically in these states like Florida and Georgia, where you've got these folks that feel like, oh, yeah, all i got to do is get the situation set up right, and I'm pretty sure I can get this one.
0: Okay, all right. I, I got you. I just want to make sure our listeners yes. understood exactly no, what we were talking about. But I agree. And, and I think I took you off track. Are you still on track? Can you keep going? Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. So we're okay. still kind of looking at where we are right now. And so okay. you know, when we talk about that, it's like, oh my goodness. You know, we're talking about like you'd originally asked me. You know, what is the difference in our country as opposed to other countries? I mean, you're looking at just there's so much. You know, there, there, there's so much in American history of just even the idea of even when you look at, for example, there's a there's a festival called Junkanoo that's celebrated in, I believe it's in the Bahamas. And it is a festival. If you ever watched, uh, my brother was actually on a trip there once during Junkanoo and he got to, it wasn't there for Junkanoo, he was there for something else for college, a college trip. But um, when they were they were there studying some things, I happened to be there during Junkanoo. Junk so he got to see and experience that. If you look at that, um, you will see a lot of similarities, even in um, dance styles and instrument choice and music and dress and masks and costumes that look familiar to other images you may have seen from other tribal, you know, tribal celebrations and tribal festivals and tribal ceremonies in African nations. There's a reason for that. Because in the Caribbean and like, um, in Brazil, I think it was 1888 before they actually abolished slavery there. And so with that, you have a more recent history, even if it's only, you know, 23 years or so difference from the end of our Civil War. But you have about you have a more recent history and a more um, deeply ingrained history of your African roots and heritage. And so there's a sense of identity that even people that are um, descendants of slaves in the Caribbean and in Latin America and in, you know, South America and Central America, that they're closer, there's a closer tie to their ancestral culture in some, so many ways. I mean, even like food and things like that. And there's some of that in American culture with American, you know, descendants of black slaves, but it's still even that is still super watered down. You find pockets of it, you know, and you'll see some things in New Orleans. If you look at some New Orleans festivals and some of the things they celebrate during Mardi Gras different parades, you'll see some different similarities there as well. But it's not as, as concentrated as you will see in some of these Caribbean and South African or South American places. And so I think, again, that makes the United States very unique in that fact too, that like there's just, there's been a, such a stripping away of culture that there is such, A lack of value and identity um, and just connectivity to our ancestry as opposed to other spaces in the world
0: okay Um, let me ask you real quick on that is that something that is being done or is that something that people are choosing to do just not to celebrate (sighs) that anymore I mean no one's saying that you can't do it right so is it a choice
1: no, it's not a choice. It's for lack of having access to it. So, I mean, one of the things I love, uh, one of my favorite historians is Henry Louis Gates Jr., and he has a show on PBS called Finding Your Roots, and he's also got a couple other um, shows that are basically the same kind of concept, where they dig into your family history, and then they even pull DNA and try to get you connected back to the original um, indigenous peoples, you know, people that you probably are, are genetically linked to in, in Africa. Now, um, I read about this, so he initially started this as a tool and a resource to kind of highlight and celebrate the potential in modern with modern technology for black people to trace their history better. We have to bear in mind that the the, the nature of chattel slavery in our country had always been to erase your identity and to erase your humanization. So erase that value. Mm-hmm. So everything that we normally a human would keep that it makes them typically, you know, that typically builds a society. So that would be culture, that would be language, that would be food. That would be religion. That would be even uh, physical clothing, dress and expression. All that got stripped away. Um, The majority of African slaves that were taken, they went through a whole process being prepped before they were even put on the transatlantic slave ship to basically be stripped of all that. They would literally strip them naked. They would shave their heads. They would not allow them to, you know, associate with other people from maybe their same village. And they would do all these things in, in order to break them. They'd separate the men and the women and they would, you know, they'd be in trouble for communicating and all these different things in order to you know they would brand them they would literally physically hit them with a hot iron and brand them they would um, obviously take away any kind of religious elements if they had some kind of religious trinkets with them anything their personal belongings possessions everything was stripped of them to basically strip them of their humanity and make them a, an item instead of a human and so when you take all that away i mean then you get to the plantation and again all these things are taken from you and now you think about like all this stripping away and you're just thrown in with this group of people that literally people think assume because Everybody's skin tone is a similar shade. They must be like similar culture. That, that's nonsense. I mean, literally, and um, we can touch on this maybe or talk about it another time. But like, people don't even realize that in the United States, there is a unique issue that I've specifically seen, even in the school that I work in, where African immigrants that are here now in the country that have just come in the country, you know, maybe the first generation or maybe one generation in that there is a lot of enmity between Black African Americans who have been here for a long history, and new Africans. So really, I mean, people choose to use the language African Americans. I always say black, and then there are true, literal African Americans. or are people who actually immigrated from someplace in Africa. Just because there's a dark-skinned young man in the room, and his, he's from Africa. He's from Ghana or wherever he's from. And then you've got another kid who's been in the country, has been in the country for you know ten generations or whatever. Those guys don't necessarily are on the same page. And honestly, there is a lot of there's a lot of racism and colorism. And um, um, let's look at it, okay? it's not so much about race at this point it's about culture and so you know africans have a lot of issues and don't really like black americans and some and and this is a broad statement so i'm not saying all of them are this way but i have seen that that kind of tension occur and vice versa there are black americans who are not always respectful of africans that are new to the country and so there's this disconnect what is that about that's not about race that's about culture and so you have to understand when you strip somebody's culture, you distance them from their own culture, that that is part of where the tension comes from. And that's also part of where the confusion comes from. And so in our country, no, people are not choosing to disconnect from their culture. They have no access to it because this has been stripped away 150 years ago. You know, and there's little things that seep through, but we don't really know the origins of those things. I mean, there are certain pockets. There's the Gullah communities in you know, the coastal Carolinas and coastal Georgia, which are basically African slave descendants who they were able to create their own little colonies, basically their own little places of you know villages and places to live. And so their stuff has been, they've been separated and kind of siloed a little bit more. So they've been able to kind of protect some of their cultural things. So one of their big things they passed down is basket weaving, uh, sweet grass baskets is what they call them. Mm-hmm. Very, very beautiful artwork. And it was originally because of, you know, it was a utilitarian kind of thing. Like you need, you need baskets to do things with, but now it's become this beautiful art. So you go anywhere in the area, there's always usually people doing uh, Gullah basket um, art at the open markets and things down there. It's pretty neat stuff. Very expensive, but really neat. And one of the reasons why it's so expensive is because it's so unique and so rare and so unique to that culture. Um, so that's one of basically the only groups of people in the United States that are still connected to their ancestral heritage, you know, with this work of art that they do that comes directly from, you know, back in the old country from, you know, from Africa. But um, really, it's not a choice. We don't have a choice. <laughs> And you can't, you can't choose to not connect to something you never had access to in the first place. And we've just never had access to our cultural history.
0: I, I'm, I'm looking at a note I wrote down here, and I, I know this is going to take us way back. So okay. with, the, with this whole uh, DNA, the trauma that's mm-hmm. going through people, that has been passed sure. down from generation to generation, do you believe yeah. that has a lot to do with the way people of color react when a police officer approaches them or is behind them to making a traffic stop?
1: That's an excellent question. Um, I think that it's one of the elements that's in play. Um, we also have to bear in mind, um, I heard a great example from somebody recently, and I'm trying to remember who it was that shared this story. I believe it was on the Gravity Leadership podcast, which um, one of our, one of my dear friends and one of our my colleagues, Chief Kirsch Cochran, was on recently. And the host on that podcast talked about he's white and so this is a really great example he said there is a trigger that there are visceral reactions you know there's physiological reactions and responses that fight or flight that will kick in in all human beings that you can't usually control if if you've experienced a trauma in this situation and so he was talking about um, a time when he was a young boy and he had been bitten by a dog and he was young and it was traumatizing for him as an adult man he still has an aversion to dogs and it startles him and you know dogs make him uncomfortable. And so he was on a jog with his son and he jogged past the dog that was in a yard and the dog barked and he just, it really got him and he could feel himself physically responding and wanting to get away and just, you know, feeling that fight or flight kick in. And yet his son, who's never had a trauma with the dog was fine. And he was like, you know, was that a problem for you? And he's like, no, I didn't even think about it. And so there is part of it obviously is the, the, the DNA. So, you know, did his son, you know, inherit the gene to be afraid of dogs or whatever? No. And that's not, it's not that, it's not that simple. But so there's an element of experience too. whether these people and, you know, in our country have seen the violence. Have they been taught the danger of police? Have they experienced the danger of police? Whatever those one of the, any one of those three or any combination of those three included with the epigenetics and making you, making you predisposed to being concerned about that trauma. All those things lead to the response of, of people towards police. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a normal human kind of wired in our DNA human reaction to want to survive. And so fight or flight will kick in when you think you're under threat, whether it's a perceived threat, that's actually a real threat, or if it's a perceived threat, that's only one that you perceive. That's really not a threat in that moment. Your body can't differentiate when they perceive a threat. When you perceive a threat, you perceive a threat and your physiological response is going to kick in. You can't control cortisol. You can't raise and lower your cortisol at will.
0: Okay. So give me what you think can help. I mean, you're talking about something that everybody needs to know, be yeah. it if you're a police officer, be it if you're a person of color. How do you fix this? How do you make it all of a sudden stop? How do you make it skip a generation or end at a generation? Mm, that are, is a great are, 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 Will it ever happen? I stopped Angel before she could answer that question. Tune into part two and hear Angel's answer right here on Police Pod Talk. Today's episode on Police Pod Talk is sponsored by Crossing Color Lines. Crossing Color Lines is an organization established to speak directly to the issues of race, culture, and ethnicity in the world today. Crossing Color Lines offers resources, tools, and guidance to help anyone along their journey towards racial healing. For more information on Crossing Color Lines, go to crossingcolorlines.org.